Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And again, we will uh, read the first five verses. I'll do a very quick recap of the last message, and uh, then we'll try to finish this up. So in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, trady, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away." And so last, uh, I guess it was last Wednesday night, uh, we began this message entitled, In These Last Days, and we're finishing up our thought about what is sin. We're tying it all together from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to Romans chapter number 1. Now here we spent probably a month in uh, or more in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And we read there that third word in your Bible in chapter number 3 verse 1. This know also. And so we looked at some other things that Paul had mentioned in this letter to Timothy from chapter number 2. Now, chapter number 1, yes, he gives him plenty to talk about, to think about. But chapter number 2, he switches gears and begins to give him a challenge of things that will come. He said there in verse number 1 that he needs to be strong. In verse number 3, he said endure hardness. In verse number 4, the whole verse, he says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. And so here he tells us that this is not just going to be a day at the park. This Christian life, neither is ministry going to be a day in in the park. Uh, so he tells us that we need to consider ourselves as a good soldier. Uh, But then in verse number 14, he says that we are to charge the people that he's speaking about here before the Lord. He warns us that some have erred, and we're going to talk about another passage here in just a minute about this. Uh, But then he gives the foundation of God in verse number uh, 19. He says that it's still Stands Now, there's, I've been talking to a lot of preachers lately about different things, and uh, they, they've talked about different churches. Matter of fact, Brother Jody mentioned it in his prayer letters that he's thankful that there are still churches not willing to dip their colors. Some may not understand what that means, so I'll just kind of quickly clarify that. That means that they've chosen not to compromise in order to gain membership or to gain uh, more on the uh, uh, in the offering place or any, any of those things they're not willing to lay down their their flag to pick up someone else's essentially and so here in this thought many of these preachers have talked about different preachers that have done that they've compromised Churches that once stood firm on the foundation of God's Word have let those um, those foundations crumble, if you will. But I'm glad tonight that verse number 19, it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. 
That ought to thrill our hearts tonight that no matter what comes, no matter how many of us may fall, the foundation of God is still sure. In verse number 20, he says that some are vessels of honor, some are vessels of dishonor. He says in verse 21 down through verse 23, he warns us to purge these vessels of dishonor, to flee from them, to avoid them. In verse number 24, he says that God's servants, in this case, those ministers of the gospel, must be gentle. He also says that they must instruct in meekness, but he gives in verse 26 the reason that they must be gentle and instruct in in, uh, meekness, and that is that that person that has erred may come back to God, they may uh, recover. If you look, he says, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So now we come to our, our chapter, our text here, and he says, Know this also that in the last days perilous times shall Come. Uh, last week we talked about these last days and we said that they are described there in verse 2, 3, and 4, uh, and a little bit in verse number 5. We gave you several verses that, that say the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3 and then in Jude verses 17, 18, and 19. Uh, we told you that it was de- defined and it is the last of the last days. It is those, de- matter of fact, over in 1 Timothy chapter number four verse number one it says now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith and so brother jim there he he uses two different words and you can search it out if you want to one is is just in in the last period of time but here in our text he says in the last days in other words the last of the last in first timothy chapter number four verse number one he said in this period of time, uh, there may come more later days or latter days, but I want you to know that there will come a time that many shall depart from the faith. I was listening to Brother Chris Simpson. If you if you don't know Brother Chris Simpson, you need to try to look him up. He is a, he's young, but he's a great preacher. And he preached a little bit on this. Uh, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but I listened to it today. And he mentioned this verse, and he says, there, In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seduce spirits and doctrines of devils. And at the end of his message, he began to talk about giving heed to seducing spirits. Uh, these are those spirits that come in and they take us unawares, if you will. Uh, they began by a, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be vulgar or anything, but they began by sensually stroking our lusts and our own desires and little by little they draw us away from God. But he said something that I've never really thought about. He said that they've given heed to seducing spirits, but then right at the end it says, and doctrines of devils. He said there's a lot of folks that are sitting in the Baptist pews today. Uh, They've been taught the doctrines of our faith. They've been taught the doctrines of right and wrong from God's words. He said, and they give heed to these seducing spirits. He said, but once the devil has them, he has then to teach them something different than the doctrines of the gospel of God. 
He said he began, Satan begins to teach them a new doctrine. What you're doing is not that bad. What you're reading is not that bad. The places that you go is not that bad. Do you really have God's Word? He begins to, to flip everything that we have been taught in church, in Bible school, in Sunday school, out of God's Word, in our personal study. He, Satan, if he can get you to give heed to those seducing spirits, he will then begin to teach you a different doctrine. So I thought we might include that a little bit today. These last days, I, I told you that they were perilous times. Uh, the Bible mentions this word times there in verse number 1. And this is due measure or an opportune or seasonable time. Uh, in Romans chapter number 5, verse number maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe 2 or 3, it says in due time Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time God or Christ died for the ungodly. And so here we see that at the right time, these last days, these last times will be present. Only when God says it's time. Uh, I remember a man growing up in, in the church that I grew up in. Uh, he, he came in. Nobody knew who he was. And he asked the pastor if he could say some things. And, and uh, long story short, the pastor ended up sitting him down because he literally began to quote-unquote prophesy about when the Lord was coming back. And my pastor sat him down said, No, we, we don't agree with that. You need to either go sit down and be quiet or leave. I don't remember which one he did, but he shut up for a while. But that was probably in the, in the early 90s, maybe mid-90s, that this man was guessing. You can go back into the 17 and 1800s, maybe even before that, and people have been trying to to figure out when the Lord is coming back. And I want you to know that He is coming back. We we believe that, but we don't know when He's coming back. But we ought to live like He's coming back today. Somebody help me right there. We ought to, I've said this before, if we would begin to pray that the Lord would come back today, maybe then we would begin to live like He could be coming back today. Because we're saying, well, one of these days He's coming, so I'll just live like I want to until then. Well, those 12 virgins tried that as well, and and all of a sudden the bridegroom came and half of them weren't ready. So I I, I encourage you tonight to, to pay attention to these last days. They are... They, they are coming at the seasonable time. We told you that these last days have a duration. There's a future disturbance. He said in verse number 6 and verse number 7, He says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, in, in, in my time in the ministry, I've seen so many people that fall into verse number 7. Uh, they, they call themselves learning, but they are not able to attain the truth because the truth is right in front of them, because the truth is so available to them. They think that they need to find it somewhere else and they reject the truth out of God's Word. There is a future disturbance. There is a future development. He says in verse number 8 and verse number 9, Now Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. 
Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. The uh, the theirs in the very end of this verse goes directly back to Janus and Jambres. You can read that over in the book of Exodus if you want to. Uh, but here we find that there is a future development. Uh, there will be, and you read it in Romans chapter number 1, about the past man, how that many of them became reprobate after chance, after chance, after chance given to them by God. But here he says in these last days that there are going to be men that are reprobate concerning the faith. They will grow worse. They will deceive. They will be deceived. Understand today that it is not going to get better. Uh, last night we were at the men's meeting and there was a gentleman there and he's been there several times and on the way out he was talking about something as far as military and war uh, but he says man I just I wish the Lord would send revival and and I began to talk to him about about revival and how I wish that it would come as well I, man alive I wish that we could maybe a hundred years from now if the Lord doesn't come I wish that it can be written how that in this little county in South Georgia the revival broke out influence thousands and millions. I would absolutely love that. But I'm afraid today, I'm not going to say that we're not going to experience revival, but I'm afraid today that the days of true revival in our lifetime is over because we are in these last days and they are going to get worse. There is a design. All of that was a recap. There is a design. I want you to look at Paul's complication. We're talking about the design of these last days. In case you're keeping notes, I told you that there were the last days. They were described and defined. Then, number two, there were perilous times. It was defined. There was a duration, but now there's a design. Look with me in verse number 10 and verse number 11. The perilous times. I want you, I want you to look at this. It says in verse number 9, Excuse me, verse number 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Notice these commas. He says, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, Paul said, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. We see here that Paul in this design of the last days, and, and Paul thought he was in these last days, even then, some 2,000 years ago. Uh, but it is designed, even though we may suffer persecution and affliction, and, and we may have to uh, issue out long-suffering and charity to the people that we don't think deserve it, know that through all of those things that God still has a design in our complications, and that is this, in verse number 11, out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Know that God is going to deliver you. 
You say, well, I just don't understand that. That sounds like something I can't, I can't wrap my mind around. Know this, that in Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 5, he said that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Where did, where did the writer of Hebrews get that? Out of the book of Deuteronomy. It was a promise to the people of Israel. And we found that over and over and over, they got into sin, they got out of sin. They got into bondage, they got out of bondage. Oh, but God's promise was steadfast and sure. He never left them. He never forsook them. He was always there. And then in the book of Hebrews, we have a New Testament, uh, not a revelation, but a New Testament promise, if you will, uh, that piggybacks off the Old Testament one. And he says, even in these times, I want you to know, I'm not going to leave you alone. And so in your darkest days, when it seems as though you cannot see a way out, know that as Paul said, how the Lord delivered me. That ought to encourage us today. Then next we see in this design, we see Paul's challenge. Paul's challenge in verse number 14. He says, but continue thou in all things, or in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says in verse number 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Truly furnished unto all good works. And so we're now we're, we're, we're talking about a challenge here. And we're going to read the, the next chapter a little bit. He says, I want you in verse number four, 14, he said, I want you to continue in things that you've learned. Continue in things that you've been assured of. He said, know where you've learned them. Paul was putting his own reputation on the line, Brother David. He was putting his reputation on the line that he was right with God. He was delivered on the road to Damascus by God. He received the gospel through the preaching of these other men through Jesus Christ himself that day. And he began to teach the good news of Jesus. He began to instruct them. And Paul said, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. But boys, uh, Timothy specifically, he said, I need you to know who taught you these things. You didn't get these from some guy out in the wilderness. You didn't get these from some guy on the internet. You didn't get this from Google. But you got it from someone that had a relationship with God and had communion with Him. He says here, I want you to know that there are complications, but I'm challenging you now to continue. He said, remember the Scriptures? He said, from a child you knew the Scriptures. He said, they'll make you wise. He talked about these Scripture, and he says, it's given my inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. He said, and if you'll do all of those things, then he says, the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished or completely furnished unto all good works. But now, listen to this in verse number 1 of chapter number 4. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Here's His challenge. Preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, 
And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But what? Here's this challenge again. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Verse number 6, 7, and 8. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, or from this time forward, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so Paul here, he gives a challenge in the middle of these perilous times. He says, I want you to know you can hold fast to what you've been taught. You can hold fast to who has told them to you. Hold fast to the Scripture themselves. He says, I want you to make sure that you're perfect and thoroughly furnished. He said, I want you to preach the gospel. He said, there's going to be people that will not hear you. There's going to be people that will mock you. There's going to be people that will go away from you. He says, but again, there in verse number, I believe it's verse number, uh, uh, I don't even remember now, maybe verse number five, but watch in all things, endure, do the work of evangelists, make full proof of that ministry. Here's the reason why. He says, Timothy, I've done all that I can do. He said, my fight's won. He said, my course is finished. What what else did he say? He says, I've kept the faith. There's a lot of folks that spent a lot of years in the faith. But suddenly, at the end, some, I feel like somebody said it. They fall away. At the very end, he said, they're almost home. And he says, I've kept the faith. I've not given up. So what is this challenge here? This challenge is, I'm fixing to leave. You're the man coming up next. Timothy, you've got to fight a fight. You've got to keep the faith. You've got to keep your course. Stay on track. Don't fall away. Don't follow this way or that way. Stay in the Word that you've been instructed in. There is a challenge even in these last days, church, that we stay by the stuff. Now, I don't want to get talking about uh, contemporary churches and contemporary ways tonight, but I'm telling you, I, I understand where they, those folks are coming from, but honey, I want you to know that we are, I, I don't even want to say old-fashioned, I, I preached a whole series on it, we are Bible-fashioned. The things that we do is because the Word of God tells us to do them, and that's the way we need to stay. Don't give in to all these other things. All right, quickly. Having a form of godliness. Verse number five. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. One writer said, A form of godliness is absolutely necessary if we would be saved. You've got to have a form of godliness. It's necessary. This form is a semblance or an appearance. You have to have an appearance of godliness. But this form, he says, is not is insufficient unless it be united with the power of God. I can stand up here all day long and tell you that I'm a doctor 
a medical doctor. And I might be able to figure out how to look the part, get me a, a white robe and a stethoscope. And I, I might be able to look the part. But see, I've got a form, but there's no power of it. What do I mean by that? There, there's no knowledge of it. I, I've not spent years upon years in medical school. I have no no experience with the tools and, and with the, the, the trade of being a physician. I have no idea. So I have a form of being a doctor, but I don't have the power. And so being a believer, a Christian, let, let me say it like this, being a born-again child of God, you must have a form of godliness, but if you deny the power of it, guess what? It's insufficient. They've become a pretender. They are enthusiastic about things for which they have no care. My wife likes football, basketball, baseball, tennis ball. If it's got a ball in it, she'll watch it. i got to watch her. She'll turn it on karaoke channel because it's got a little ball going around it. Now, I can sit there and I can watch. The other, the other day, I watched the Alabama game. Here in just a couple of weeks, I'm going to have to watch the Tennessee-Georgia game. And I ain't even going to tell you who I'm cheering for because I don't know. It kind of depends on who's winning. You get what I'm saying? Because I'm scared because I'm down here now. If, if Y'all know what I mean. But listen to what I said. They are pretender. They are enthusiastic about things for which they have no care. We can be watching a ball game and I can, I can get up and I can clap and I can shout and I can get excited and then I can sit down and like, now what happened? See, I was enthusiastic about things that I had really no care for. If I cared, I, I would know. I would understand. They mourn but have no connection to the dead. You get what I'm saying here. They, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. So this is another example. They're mourning for someone, but they have no connection to the dead. Why are they mourning? Why are they crying? I watched people the other day at the wedding of Leah and them and his people that I have no idea who they are. And I watched them... <laughs> I got up there and I got tore up a little bit because I just happened to remember Liam moved out of my house. That blessed my ever-loving heart. Y'all don't tell her I said that. She probably already knows it. Don't tell her. But you got people that they're, they're excited about things that have no connection. They fight though they have no reason. You ever watch those old cowboy and Indian movies? They'll go into the saloon and somebody will, I don't know, do something. And it's the fight's between one or two people, Jody. Next thing you know, on, on television, the whole saloon is just, probably shouldn't be up here talking about saloons. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. It's, it's already done. So. The whole place is in an uproar. They don't even know why they're fighting. That's what he's saying here. They have a form. They've denied the power there. He says there in verse number 5, they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, 
from such turn away. This phrase, it, it literally means to shun or to avoid. It means to reject by using caution. The same writer, and I say one writer because I could not find his name anywhere in this book. He said, we are not only to shun or avoid, not only from the wicked men described in the, pas- in the passage, but from pleasure lovers. If you go over to Romans chapter number 1, we've, we've been there almost ad nauseum it seems like. The end of chapter number 1, it talks about that those people that do such things, he said, they are worthy of death. Hey, I'll read it in your King James Bible. You read it. But then he says, also those that have pleasure in them that do them. You see, what he's talking about is those people that, though they're not doing certain sins, they're condoning them by surrounding themselves with them. I believe it was Habakkuk that warned about, about alcohol, about beer, wine, whatever you want to call it, liquor. He said, woe to the man that gives to his neck. He didn't say that he drank any. But he, said he gave it to his neighbor. He bought for his neighbor. This writer says you should not only shun the wicked man described in the passage, but also those that have pleasure in them. And, and Brother David, I don't think it's, it's if you or I fell into sin... And I don't think that we should hate one or the other. That, I don't believe that's right. But this lover of pleasure, if you will, that's not speaking of the person, but of the acts that they're doing. If I fall into sin, Brother Jody, as a Christian, you should despise that sin Scripture says that after, matter of fact, he says if one's a heretic, after the first and second admonition, he said reject. And so he says you've given them opportunity after opportunity to return, but they still stay in that sin. He says you need to be careful even being around the man or those that would condone the man and his actions. So this is a broad net that's being thrown out here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says that they have a form of God. And here's where it is, Brother Jody. There's a lot of folks, maybe sitting on the pews tonight, they have a form of godliness. But when it comes down to the time of decision, whether or not they're going to be on the side of godliness or they're going to be on the side of ungodliness or worse yet, walk in the fence. He says we need to be very, very careful. Of such, turn away. Reasons to turn away? You could go over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. He's talking about the, the Lord's Supper, if you will. 
And he began to list some things, and he says, for this cause, he said, many are sick, or some even sleep. <laughs> and so there's certain things that God, there's a lot of things that God takes very, very serious. And when we go against those things, there are, there is chastisement, if you will. There is punishment for those things. Reasons to turn away for our own health. For our own health, we need to turn away. For our own peace of mind. Sometimes, sometimes you're just going to have to go ahead and pull the band-aid off. Go ahead and do what needs to be done so that your mind is at peace with God. For our own righteousness. Second Peter chapter number 2, verse 7 and 8. Said and delivered just Lot. Not only Lot, but just as in righteous Lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Parentheses. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Nowhere do I find in Scripture that Lot ever took part in the sin of Sodom or Gomorrah. But because, he says, he dwelt among them, he saw and he heard their deeds, he vexed his righteous soul. So go ahead and condone that person. Go ahead and stay around that person that's in sin and find out what happens. Your own soul will become vexed. You may not take part in it. You may even, even say, you know what, I disagree with this. I, I just, you just need to stop. I'm never going to condone this. And that's good. That's wonderful. But remember, from such turn away. The last reason to turn away is for our relationship with God and with man. The relationship with God, if you condone such acts and such men or women, your relationship with God is going to become a hindrance. Your relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ is going to become hindered. Why should we turn away? For our health, for our peace of mind, for our own righteousness, and for our relationship with God and with man. Let me, let me say this real quick, just to kind of put a... Uh, make sure I got all my T's crossed and I's dotted or whatever that saying is. Let me make sure... <clears throat> If you think if you think that you can get upset with someone else and shun someone else because of their sin and their lack of repentance but then you could go and you could dabble in the same thing and think it's okay you're sadly mistaken If you think because someone hurts you 
you can do something to hurt them, you're mistaken. If someone sins against you, and you go out and try to do something to hurt them, or to make them jealous, or to get back at them, I want you to know that you are doing the exact same thing that you are condemning them for. Here's what you do. And believe me, I've been hurt and hurt and hurt. I'm sure every one of us has been hurt at some point. And listen, we can get hurt in church. We can get hurt at work. We can get hurt at home. Everybody wears your feelings right here. It's just going to happen. But I want you to know this tonight. If someone hurts you and you have to shun them because of this and they're not getting it right, the best thing for you to do is go ahead and shun them from such turn away. Turn away. Pray for them. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Galatians chapter number 6. It says, if, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Why? I'm just going to paraphrase it because I don't remember the end of this verse. But he says, because lest you also be tempted. And so if, if, if we've condemned someone for their actions, you do the exact same thing. Then you're condemned as well. Y'all with me there? Best thing to do is go ahead and shun and get as close to God as you can. I was telling the men last night, Ashlyn, she uh, she was sitting on the couch with me. Uh, I think Monday maybe. And uh, I mean, she, Brother David, she was sitting on the couch with me. I mean, she was right there. And I tried to move over, and here comes Ashlyn. She moved over a little bit more. Well, I moved over as much as I can move over. They were, I had to get up if I was going to go any further. And she just kept scooting over. And before long, I mean, I was all up like this. So finally, I just reached my arm around. That's the way it ought to be with God. Well, Jody, the way we ought to be with God is God's sitting there. We get a little bit closer. How do we get closer? You read His Word. You pray. You live a life that's righteous. None of us are going to be perfect. We're going to fall. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to do things. We're going to sin. But instead of letting them sit there and not repentant, or not being repentant over it, what that's doing is drawing us further away from God. But get it right with God. And get close to Him. Do like she did. I'm, I'm close to Him, but now I want to get a little bit closer. And a little bit closer. Before long, guess what? You're going to be close as you've ever been because He's going to have to reach down around there and just hold you up tight. When probably both girls, but I definitely remember Ashlyn, she would say, Daddy, I want you. And so I'd pick her up and I'd, I'd have her right here. I mean, she was in my hand. She was on my chest. Her legs were wrapped around me. Her arms were wrapped around my neck. And she said, Daddy, I want you. I'm like, Honey, I've got you. You've got me. I'm right here. But Daddy, I want... And she would literally cry, climb as, as close as she could to get her... That's the way we ought to be with God. God, I want You. God's got us. But God, I want more of You. Okay? Here's a, here, I'm going to give you some more. God, I want more of You. So when we 
have to show. And believe me, I know personally, shunning someone, that's nothing to rejoice about. That's heartbreaking. But I want you to know, according to the Scripture, the reason that is done is so that they can return one day. So that they can, hopefully, so that they can repent and be restored one day. Know this tonight, that when we have to shun someone, that's the very time we need to get as close to God as possible. Let's stand.